But no, we're really thankful you're here. And um, I think when we think about preparation for marriage, um, we want you to know that we are here for you. And we want to walk beside you in this journey um, because life can be difficult. And we want to come alongside you and prepare you for a lifetime of being together. Not just preparation for the day, but for all the days that proceed after the wedding day. We spent a lot of time thinking about the day, and that's fine. You should. It should be an amazing day. But how often do we think about the lifetime afterwards? That's what we want to prepare you for because that's ultimately marriage. And so in light of that preparation, I want to share with you a funny story. I've done a few weddings. did one just a couple summers ago, and um, I've heard about this happening. I've never been a part of a wedding where I was officiating it, where I saw it happen until two years ago. Um, it's June, June 8th, and I'm standing up on stage with this couple, and I've known this couple since they were in junior high. They're an awesome couple. I'm three minutes into the wedding message, and the groom starts doing this. My messages tend to have an effect like that. <laughs> and he just got this glassy-eyed look, thousand-mile stare, and I thought to myself, oh, no, he's going down. <laughs> and sure enough, he, like, collapsed on the stage, crumpled to the ground. I thought for a moment like he was having a seizure. Um, his parents rush up on stage, and they help him out. He was dehydrated. They gave him a bottle of water. He came to, you know, some smelling salts, you know. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> it's your wedding day. <laughs> no. We got him a chair, actually a stool, sat down on the stool, and I continued with the wedding message. Three minutes later, I hear someone from the congregation yell out, Lauren, no! And I'm thinking to myself, who's Lauren? <laughs> Peripheral vision, out of the corner of my eye, I catch one of the bridesmaids on the end, and she is going down. <laughs> She's seven months pregnant. And she's inches away from falling off the platform. That's a four-foot platform. Okay? Two guys up front see what's happening. They rush up and, like, literally catch her. We bring out another chair. <laughs> sit her down. And I'm just like, okay, you know, in seminary, when I went to, you know, study to be a pastor, they don't really teach you, like, how do you transition out of moments like that? Turn to page 456 in the wedding manual. This is what you do when somebody faints. Like, I didn't have any kind of instruction like that. Nothing to go on, right? One of the moms, before we got started again, after the second fainting, stood up, and she's like, yo, wedding party up on stage, listen up. <laughs> and she's like, okay, thank goodness, praise the Lord for moms, and she just kind of took control, and she gave them basic instructions for survival during a wedding when you're standing up there. And the weddings that I do are never more than maybe 25 minutes. But in that moment, thank goodness for that mom. <laughs> I tell you that story because if you go back and watch the game film and try to figure out, like, what happened? This couple had their wedding day, and they did not have a wedding coordinator. I'm going to tell you something right now. Wedding coordinators might save your life. <laughs> they give invaluable coaching advice for your wedding day. Like, hey, you need to make sure you're sleeping. Here, here's some food. Eat this. Drink some water, right, on your wedding day. They also give you invaluable information when it comes to how to survive up on stage. Don't rock your knees. Wiggle your toes. Who knew wiggling your toes would keep you from fainting? It could help. So I tell couples who are going through our pre-marriage counseling class, as well as if we're doing it just kind of one-on-one, 
that they should get a wedding coordinator <laughs> for a lot of those reasons just listed because it's super helpful. And I think in the same way, like just like we wouldn't want somebody to get married on a wedding day without a wedding coordinator, we wouldn't want you to try to prepare the rest of your life beyond that moment without some wedding coordinators, coaches to help you because we all need help, right? I'm so thankful Steph and I had some amazing people to build into our life before we got married to get us prepared for happily ever after, right? And so we're here to help you, and we're here for you. And so that, I think, is important to understand from the outset that preparation is critical, and we are most assuredly here for you. Proverbs 15.22 says this, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. All right perspective we went from preparation to perspective speaking of weddings i want to pose a question for your small group for just like two minutes okay and here's the question what's your perspective on marriage based alone on the wedding ceremonies you've attended over the years okay again what's your perspective on marriage based alone on the wedding ceremonies you've attended over the years two minutes discuss ready set go So, based on alone, your perspective of marriage from wedding ceremonies, how many of you heard at that wedding ceremony how awesome marriage is? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you at that wedding ceremony heard about how hard marriage is? A few. Okay. More perspective on, hey, I think marriage is awesome, maybe losing its balance when it comes to the hard part of marriage, which really, I think, indicates the difference that we oftentimes see between perspective and reality, right? Perspective and reality. So before Steph and I got married, I kind of thought marriage was like just like rainbows and Skittles all the time, you know, just happy and sweet. I say that love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. <laughs> The reality is, honestly, marriage is awesome. It's just glorious, burning joy. It's also blood, sweat, and tears. Incredible. Also hard. And getting a balanced perspective, right, on what marriage is so we don't lose sight of what it takes to keep marriage intact. So perspective versus reality um let's get into the basis of this class because i think in order to gain a proper perspective on marriage we need to view it through the correct lens and the correct lens that we're going to use is going to be the scriptures and that is going to be the basis and the premise of all that we talk about because we think the foundational aspect of marriage has got to start with the person who is the foundation and that is jesus christ in his word and so everything that we want to do is help give you a view, a perspective through the scriptures. 
so to hopefully declutter our minds from the toxic lies of this world and garner a picture of Christ and what he created in marriage that is so beautiful and amazing and awesome that everything about this world and how it is communicated to us about what marriage is falls to the wayside in light of what God has given us in marriage. Because I think there can be a difference <laughs> between the perspective of the world and the reality of what God has created and given us in this amazing, indescribable gift called marriage. So let's jump into this using the word of God. What is marriage okay so genesis 2 24 to 25 if i do that clicker can i put that in my hand oh there you are hi babe thank you for always being my better half <laughs> oftentimes i hear this do you want to talk to the guy who's in charge or the lady who knows what's going on <laughs> um yes genesis 2 24 to 25 i think my i'm not even clicking I'll just read it to you guys. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God, the divine designer, established from the beginning that marriage would be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. You think about it, God is the author and creator. Therefore, he alone gets to define what marriage is as well as what its purpose is. And obviously you can tell from Genesis 2, 24 to 25, one of the purposes of God for marriage is what? Oneness. To experience oneness. And of course that oneness is physical and emotional. And so when you think about that, physical and emotional, right? First of all, no doubt, marriage is physical. Okay? Hold up, wait a minute. You think about Adam, <laughs> he sees Eve for the first time, and she's naked. <laughs> Praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> and God gave, obviously, Eve to Adam. Um, God created physical a relationship called sex, right? You think for a second about this whole interaction uh, between Adam and God and then, and then Adam and Eve. Adam, before he met Eve, God created him, right? He literally built Adam from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils, right? This mud man, the ruach of life, and Adam became a living being. And the first thing his eyes lock onto is God. You think about that. It's so awesome. It's the, my creator. And then God puts Adam to sleep again, and this time when he wakes up, he's missing a part of himself, <laughs> and he sees Eve, this beautiful naked woman. Be like, God, put me to sleep again. What's going to happen next? <laughs> right? So God created the physical part of marriage, which is obviously called sex. And it's awesome. I think, unfortunately for me, I don't know what your experience was when it got communicated to you about sex. But I kind of grew up in a legalistic, conservative church. And to me, it felt like the messaging on sex was kind of more like, uh, yeah, sex is this bad, nasty, dirty thing. Make sure to save it for the one you love in marriage. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but that was kind of what I heard. Maybe it wasn't exactly the messaging, but that's what got communicated more times than not. Here's the reason why you don't do it, because it's so bad. And so I got mixed communication on that. I didn't get the real picture, the, the, the big picture that God wants us to have. And that's why I think one of the purposes of this class is we want to help you guys enlarge our view of what marriage is, right? And 
help make sure we don't cheapen it by giving you a mixed message from this world that is convoluted and distorted and messed up. The clarity that God's word provides, right? The clarity around even something as intimate and as sensitive as sex, right? Wonderful quote from Tim Keller. Think about this. God has put a healthy fence around sex, not because it's bad, but because it's so incredibly good. Did you hear that? God has put a healthy fence around sex, not because it's bad, but because it's so incredibly good. In the context of marriage, sex is powerfully good for uniting two people in the bond of marriage. But outside those boundaries, we realize and see it can be destructive. So God gets to set that boundary, and it's a healthy boundary. It's a good boundary because he realized what he's putting the fence around is so incredibly powerful and good, it needs protection. No doubt, sexual intimacy is a great and godly part of marriage. But it's not the only thing, right? It's also emotional intimacy. Let's see if I can click through this to get to there. Created by God, physical, yes, and emotional. <laughs> Guys, there will be that moment, okay? If you get to that wedding day, the doors are going to open. You're going to see your bride, and you're going to have this, like, wet, salty residue form right in the corner of your eye. And I can still remember that moment when I saw Steph and I thought to myself, holy cow, I actually convinced her to marry me. <laughs> it's the greatest day of my life. But no doubt, like marriage is meant and it should be emotions. There should be emotions like on that wedding day. I think there should be emotional intimacy. There should be no shame and walls between us, Right? Just like there should be no walls there in the beginning, and there wasn't between Adam and Eve and with God. And see, marriage is meant to be that place where we can be totally vulnerable, honest, and open with our spouses. This is where we talk about the authenticity, right? Authenticity is someone who knows me and loves me in spite of all my warts and wrinkles. And as you age, you get a few more of those. But thankfully, you have committed your life to someone who continually loves you, and you love them in spite of all that. All right, next, marriage is also meant to be, it is emotional, permanent, okay? This is Matthew 19, 3 to 6. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you heard, he replied, that the beginning of the creator who made them male and female? And then Jesus quotes Genesis 2, 24, which we cited earlier. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. God has made a covenant with us. I think even in spite of the fact that we do a lot to mess up in life, do we not? <laughs> we do a lot to mess things up. God still loves us. I want you to ponder for a moment the significance of the wedding vow. On our wedding day, the pastor officiated the wedding for Steph and I stood up there and said, Travis, do you take Steph to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, for richer and poor, for better or worse, sickness and health, till death do you part? And my response wasn't, I don't know, I'm pretty sure. No, what's your response? I do. There's no maybe. It's a commitment. Because what you're entering into is a covenant. Because it pictures how Christ loves us in an unconditional manner. There's no, there's no like, well, I do, but unless this happens, then I might back out. No, it's, it's permanent. It's permanent. And I think that's an important aspect of marriage that sometimes falls to the wayside in our culture today because it seems like anyone can dissolve, disillusion a marriage for any and every 
reason. But God, from the beginning, has told us it's permanent. All right, next. Marriage is meant to also be a picture of God's love for the church. A picture of God's love for the church. If you think about in Ephesians 5, 32, Paul almost loses his words when trying to describe like husband and wife and their roles in marriage. And towards the end of there in verse 32, he says, but this is a profound mystery, talking about marriage. Because he's talking about how marriage pictures Christ and the church, right? And so you think about this, marriage is a clay similitude that ultimately points to a higher reality. We're going to go a little deep here. I think you guys can stand this. I think it's awesome. And that deeper reality is that of Christ and his church, which is called the bride in scriptures. Christ loved the church by giving his life for her in order to present the church in all of her glory without spot or wrinkle. Amazing. God puts on display his beautiful bride, the church, for all the world to see. When you think about it, when it comes to marriage, God wants to put your marriage on display for all the world to see. That when they see your marriage, it's a picture of Christ in the church by how you faithfully love one another till death do you part. Your faithful, unwavering commitment in marriage pictures Christ and his church, which can then be a vehicle God uses to impact this world, to show them something better, to show them something more significant, to show them something amazing about God's love through your marriage. Isn't that amazing how God wants to do that? God wants to do that through marriage. So it's a picture of God's love. And then also we get to the fact that not only has he given us marriage until death do us part because it's permanent, but marriage is also about multiplying. <laughs> it's about multiplying, right? As we said before, we're party of six, four amazing kids. I think oftentimes our motto in our home is keep the littles alive, right? <laughs> keep the littles alive. And sometimes that stretches Steph and I till we're like, Lord, these boys, if you don't, like, we need some extra angels to protect them, all right, some guardian angels, because I see some of the things they do, and Steph calls me and tells me at work, like, you won't believe what your, your boys just did. I'm like, don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me. Um, but yes, it's an opportunity to multiply, because ultimately, we desire kids to know Christ and make his name known in this world. We want Christ to be magnified in them, so that through them, Christ's name can be multiplied to others, right? And so, yes, of course, marriage is an opportunity to multiply. And I think moving forward, this is going to be a good one. Not only is it about multiplying, marriage is about companionship. Marriage is about companionship. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right, deep thoughts. Let's go deep. Notice God said it was not good for man to be alone. However, God never said that man was lonely. Adam had God in his life, did he not? He walked and talked with his creator every single day. Adam had this all-encompassing, life-giving relationship with his father. Thus, Adam was filled and covered in the strength and stability and assurance of, of God because that's what God's love, a relationship God provides, provides those things. So why Eve? Well, Adam, just like Eve, was built in the image of God. We know that from Genesis 1, 27, 28. 
God has existed. You think about this. God has existed in community for eternity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And so when you think about that, he made us in his image. We bear his likeness. And the, one of the ways we bear his likeness is we're built for community because God, since the very beginning, and there is no beginning, but God, he's always existed, has existed in community. You're built for relationships. You're built for community. That's one of the ways that you can really tear down somebody in life is to isolate them and put them in solitary confinement, which they used to do during World War II to really destroy somebody because you're built to be in relationship. And so God, in his graciousness, understanding how we're built, because he's the divine designer, he knows exactly what makes us tick, he brings into Adam's life Eve, because we desire companionship, because it's in our very DNA, right? Deep down inside, it's what we need. So God brings this wonderful gift of Eve, not to fill him like he's some kind of empty teacup, this isn't a Jerry Maguire moment. It's like, oh, my soulmate, you complete me. No. No, God brings Eve into Adam's life to complement him, not to complete him. There's a huge difference. Brings in to complement him that together, male and female, both distinct, both unique, both have value in the eyes of God, but together they glorify God all the more because of how he's created us for relationship. Plus, there's that whole mandate of, like, fill, multiply. <laughs> so we kind of need that opposite sex, right? You imagine Adam as he's naming all the animals, <laughs> right? He starts off with, like, all right, this is going to be a rhinoceros. This is going to be a platypus. This is going to be whatever. Eventually, you know, he got tired, and he's like, cat, dog, bat. <laughs> but eventually, he's, like, looking at the, the animal creation, and he's going, okay, this one's got a male and female counterpart. And he's looking, going around, like, Where's my counterpart? It's not good for man to be alone. God provided. Aren't you glad God provides that companionship? Praise God for that companionship. Yes, he does. All right. Um, think about this. I want you guys to observe the order of relationships in Genesis. This is huge. First, Adam had a personal relationship with God, Right? And then, and only then, did God bring Eve into his life, and there was a marriage. There's a vertical relationship that precedes the horizontal. And if you get those out of order, your life can be messed up, okay? And here's why. You first must find your identity in Christ, and only then will you be ready for a relationship with someone else. Otherwise, what's going to happen without Christ, you'll always be looking to someone else to give you that which only God can provide. Do you believe that? It's super important. Vertical before the horizontal. And when you get that right, everything falls into its place. Matthew 6.33. Think about this passage of scripture. So good. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what does it say? And then all these things will be added unto you. Get this right, and then this will be right. Okay? Vertical before the horizontal. Um, lastly, the segment about marriage that we want to touch on is it is a covenant, okay? We know there's a difference between contract versus covenant. Contract is, okay, you hold up your end of the deal, I'll hold up mine, but you break your end of the deal, I'm out. That's a contract. Covenant is, I'm going to love you in spite of all that I see, the warts and wrinkles, I'm going to continue to do that, to be committed to you until death do us part. It's an unbreakable bond because it is God who has established it. And I think we might actually have a phrase here that 
actually a definition of mar marriage that Watermark came up with that is really good. I don't think it's up there, but um, it's in your booklet. I think it's there at the bottom. You read over that. Super, super good. Okay. All right. Now that you guys have solved the problems of relationships, right? Uh, we're going to move through this fairly quickly because I want to give you some time for more small group discussion on some questions we're going to pose to you. So I'm going to move through this second portion fairly quickly. Um, why is marriage so hard? First, First Corinthians 7.28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. It's Paul talking. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I would spare you that. <laughs> yes, there's going to be troubles in marriage, okay? It's just a part, it's just a part of it. Um, what are barriers to strong marriages? James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? No doubt one of the things that I battle continually in marriage is selfishness. <laughs> selfishness, right? And what happens in marriage is marriage helps expose some of that stuff that's inside. And what I mean by that is I always knew I was a selfish person before I got married to Steph, but I didn't realize the depth of my selfishness until marriage exposed it. Being married to Steph has allowed me to see some sin in her life that she never would have seen. She should have never seen apart from me. You know? No, I, I'm kidding. Um, I heard one pastor say that when you get married, it's like you're gifting your spouse a full-length mirror with a tag attached to it that says, here's to discovering who you're really like. Because you know what? You can hide things from people in life. You can hide them from coworkers and friends and even maybe even family members, but you're not going to hide them from your spouse. They're going to know you cold. And that's a good thing because that selfishness is exposed and then we can work on that and God helps like refine us and make us better and make us selfless so that we can experience what God has designed for marriage, which is what? Oneness. And you want some oneness, you're going to have to get the selfishness and have that crucified. And that's a good thing. Because God created marriage to work on you. What if God made marriage to make you more holy than happy? I won't go into that. That'll preach. <laughs> Having a perspective of marriage and about what God is wanting to do through your marriage to make you a more godly man, make you a more godly woman. He'll do that through marriage as a tool, and you'll be happier for it. Because when you have holiness, then you'll be happy. You shoot for happiness, you're not going to get it, and you're going to be unholy in the process. You shoot for holiness, guess what God's going to do? He's going to throw happiness in. That's how God's rigged it. <clears throat> All right, second, um, there is a fear of intimacy. Okay, fear of intimacy. Oftentimes when we're dating, we're kind of dating each other's public relations department, right? We're putting on our best game face. It's the only time in my life when I started dating Steph that I like cleaned the room. I made her think I was more awesome than I actually am, <laughs> right? I wanted her to be convinced that I was a good guy <laughs> and that I was marriage material. And so I put up this front. And the reason we do that is because we don't want people to find out what we're really like because we're scared. And the reason times we're scared about what people might think about us because if they saw us for who we really are, they might reject us. Have you ever felt that way? Listen, life since the fall of man in Genesis 3 has been one long cover-up job, right? Adam and Eve ran from God when they sinned, and they sewed together some pretty fig leaves. And those pretty fig leaves had a purpose. And the reason they put those together is because they're trying to hide from God's eyes also trying to hide from each other's eyes so we put on the mask so you can't see what's actually there have you ever done that don't raise your hand 
also, you think about the fall, we lost that relationship with God, which provided us with security and strength. And in its place, we now struggle with all too familiar feeling of insecurity, right? Insecure people wearing masks and hiding in the darkness, not wanting to be exposed because we don't want to be rejected. And so we play the game, we put on the mask and try to go through life pretending to be something we're not until you get married. And then you're going to get found out (laughs) in a good way, right? I can still remember in junior high, a girl broke up with me. Dating in junior high? Why? This girl broke up with me. She literally told me, she's like, I can't date you anymore because you're too insecure. I'm like, how is that supposed to help me? (laughs) Yes, I am secure. Now I'm like really insecure. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) Be looking for my self-esteem for the rest of the day too. Guys, let me tell you something. The, the answer to these issues in our life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this quickly. I'm gonna, kind of like a visual person. And so I want to share with you the key to a, a, a great relationship, especially in marriage, has got to be the gospel. And so I'm going to walk you guys just through this visual very quickly, and then we're going to jump into some more questions. But I think this is, this is the key. In the beginning, we know that God created Adam and Eve to be together in an intimate relationship. God creates all things, and by him, all things are created. You were created for God. They were created to be not just with each other first and foremost, but with God. And because they had God, they had each other. In the beginning, it was perfect, but something broke that relationship off between God and between Adam and Eve. You think about it, there's a wedding in Genesis 2, and there's warfare in Genesis 3. Welcome to marriage. Something broke that off between Adam and Eve, and most importantly, between Adam and Eve and God. And we know the thing that was introduced into the human genome was something called sin. And sin stains us, and sin breaks us, and sin kills us, because the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in here realizes that you are first and foremost a sinner, okay? In relationships, you think, oh, I've been sinned against. No, you're first and foremost a sinner. And the reason that God has given us the gospel is to help us to see that first and foremost, we need Jesus before anything else is going to get fixed in life. And we have to understand what sin does. It it distorts and confuses and it breaks and it kills and it creates a chasm between us and God. And then you know what we do? Just like Adam and Eve did? We don't want anybody to see the stains inside, right? We don't want anyone to know about who we really are. And so what we do, if I can fit this on here, come on, man. Object lesson, there we go. We cover up, because I don't want anybody to see who I really am. And so we play the game and go through the motions. And we cover up through trying to be a good person or going to church or having status in life or or money or, or, or whatever. We use a lot of different things to try to replace God to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, to give us a false sense of our own strength and security. But really it's a cover up job because we're just trying to cover up who we really are. The good news about the gospel is this. God sees everything. He saw everything about your life and he still loved you and he still came for you. The story of the gospel is an incredible rescue mission. God, seeing everything about you, saw you to the bottom. So all the sin and the junk that's there, and he came for you, sending his son, Jesus. And what Jesus did at the cross to reunite us together in relationship is he had to deal with the sin that's there. 
because no matter man's good doing is ever going to remove the stain that's inside. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many religious activities you go through, you're not going to remove that stain apart from what Jesus did at the cross. And what he did at the cross was this. God demonstrating his love towards us died while we were at sinners to pay the price for our sin. Dying in our place, Jesus went because he loved us. And he removed that stain through his own shed blood. And now we have been purified and made right in the eyes of God. The only eyes that matter. You know what? He didn't stop there. Not only did he purify you from sin, guess what he did? Then he gave you, <laughs> he gave you his perfection and his righteousness. And he filled you up with his love. Ooh, a little bit of bleach in there. That'd be all right. <laughs> now guess what? You're filled with his love. You're filled with his power. You're filled with his beauty. You're covered with his perfection and his righteousness. And now you can be secure and, and have strength in your life and stability and assurance because now you have the all-encompassing, life-giving relationship that has now been restored by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can have relationships with each other again because God has restored the thing that matters most, and that is our relationship with him. Amen? And that is the foundation for all that happens in marriage. If you don't understand this, you're going to get everything else wrong. This has got to come first. And then everything else falls into its proper place. Last few things, and we're going to have these questions. Laziness and apathy. We'll cover more in detail in week four, so don't worry about that. Four, ignorance. And lastly, a poor understanding of the gospel and forgiveness, what we just talked about. The gospel. You are worse off than you think you are because of sin, but you are more loved by the God of this universe than you could possibly fathom. The gospel. All right, let's get into small group questions. I think we might actually have that on the screen.